Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Hey everyone, on today's episode of Strictly Hoop Talk, I have my friend Tim, a.k.a. Cranjus McBasketball, returning to the podcast. If you know the podcast, you know him well. Great guy, does a lot of great work at, at Basketball Index and on his Lakers podcast, which are both linked in the description of this podcast, and I highly recommend you check it out. Um, this episode is just checking in on the Nets since the James Harden trade and Kyrie Irving's return, those three games, what it looks like, what we think the potential ceiling is of the offense and defense and also just kind of what not necessarily moves they can make but but what kind of adjustments this team can make in order to uh, maximize particularly the defensive end of uh, of the floor and then we also of course check in with the Lakers because you know I'm not bringing on Tim to talk about uh, to not talk about the Lakers so he's back here we're talking Lakers we're talking you know how does it look how did the new pieces look and, and what to kind of make of the Lakers as this season uh, goes forward because they are kind of coasting to an extent and, you know, it how how difficult does that make it to evaluate the Lakers and what we think is going to be their final form come playoff time. So that's what this podcast is about. Um, if you did not, please go to Imperial Media TV on YouTube and check out my new hip-hop late-night TV show I got on YouTube. It is great. Once again, that's Imperial Media TV. Um, it is the Chris Platty Show. Uh, the first episode dropped. The second episode is coming in a couple weeks, so stay tuned for that. Um, next, I have some hip-hop podcast stuff that is coming, which will which I'll be... I'll be updating you more on that when the time comes via my Instagram. So make sure you follow me on Instagram and follow me on Twitter and Clubhouse as well if you're on those platforms. That's at real Chris Platty, C-H-R-S-P-L-A-T-T-E. I know you know how to spell real. Now, thank you, everyone, and let's get to today's show, Strictly Hoop Talk, featuring Tim, a.k.a. Cranges McBasketball, breaking down the Nets and the Lakers. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Strictly Hoop Talk. As always, I am your host, Chris Platty. Returning to the podcast is a legend on this podcast, my man, Tim, a.k.a. Cranjus McBasketball. Tim, how are you doing? Chris, I'm doing well. I uh, I can't complain. I can't come on a Pistons fans podcast and complain about my Lakers season. So we'll, we'll say <laughs> things are going well. How, how have you been? You hanging in there? Yeah, you know, honestly, I'm honestly, I, I am having fun with the Pistons this season. I mean, you know, it's a uh, the Jeremy Grant has been a, a very very pleasant surprise. Um, I'm liking I'm liking some of the young guys. Some of the young guys are concerning me, but I'm really liking uh, Sadiq Bay, Isaiah Stewart. Uh, I'm really just liking I, I'm liking the ability to watch the Pistons lose, but lose with promise. Mm-hmm. And that 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 kind of hasn't been the thing uh, for the last decade for the Pistons. It's been losing 
when we where, where we're expecting to win. And now it's like we're expecting to lose, but you get to see all these nice young pieces and, and kind of hope for potential and all of that stuff. So it's actually kind of fun right now for me. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie, but I'd much rather be the Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't we all? Um, no, that's good though. I so I mean I can't speak from like my team being bad for like a really long time, but you know us being younger guys, the Lakers were certainly poor for a stretch of time, and like they were like really bad. And I think learning to embrace that and just like focus not on like the results, but like the growth in those smaller pieces of it and watching those individual guys take steps and just changing your expectations and what you're focusing on can still make the game very enjoyable. And then you're pleasantly surprised when a win does happen. And it's just part of that journey and it part of just growing and all the, all the teams go through that. Uh, some take bigger random jumps than others from trades or signings, but like, that's still an enjoyable, entertaining aspect of the sport. And uh, it, I, I do miss out a little bit. Like the Lakers don't really have any of those young pieces around anymore that they used to. So it's a, a different way of viewing the game, um, but in, enjoy it. And hopefully you get to see Detroit grow into a, a more successful team over the next couple of years off of some of these young guys that you've seen you know, from the beginning. Listen, I love to hear a Lakers fan talking to a Pistons fan like like you're trying to relate. That's like a celebrity. That's like that's like a list celebrity trying to relate to an everyday person. It's just two different worlds. It's just I like I like how you're like, yeah, the Lakers went through a little rough patch. I don't know if they went through a Detroit rough patch. That's a that's that's a diff that's a different animal. That's a different breed. But um Regardless, we're here to talk the Nets and the Lakers. Um, of course, you're, we're always going to talk Lakers when you're on the podcast because you're my number one Lakers guy. But let's start with the Brooklyn Nets here. Uh, what do you think of the fit for them offensively and defensively? It's been three games since the big three has been implemented. Uh, James Harden played played two extra games before Kyrie came back. So um, in the small sample size, what I'm looking at here is uh, they won over... They won over Miami last night as we're recording this, and then they lost. Let me see. Hold on, I just had it. Yeah, and then they lost twice to Cleveland, giving up, uh, giving up each game at least 124 points. Um, and we knew that Tim, we knew coming into it that the defense was going to be kind of um, was going to be a big question mark and a big concern. And right now, offensively, they are averaging, like I said, 125 points second in the NBA. And, you know, so the offense is scoring at a prolific rate, but the defense seems to be um, be not working that great considering the Cavs are not the greatest offensive team, although they have been a pleasant surprise this year. Definitely not the greatest offensive team. Where do you stand with their fits offensively and defensively, whichever side of the ball you want to start with? Sure. So let's start with the fun side. The, the offense, and, and I mean kind of the defense too, it makes for entertaining basketball. Mm -hmm. regardless of which team in the match you're rooting for, because you get to see lots of scoring. Uh, offensively, it's an interesting fit because it's not the same sort of like, like the Lakers have like LeBron and a big man, and you get to see them run ball screens together and do different things where they're involved in the same action all the time. And by having multiple ball handlers and then a bigger guy in KD, that's not like a true big man per se. He's more of like a wing player with ball handling skills. Brooklyn has had to be a little bit more creative and we see them still combining those guys in ball screens and like dribble handoff plays and different pin down flare screen actions. 
I think they've done a good job molding and, and meshing those three skill sets together. And they're a fairly, I'd say they're a fairly uh, shallow team from a bench standpoint, just in, in total talent, but they do have several players on that bench that can shoot pretty well. And when you have three elite ISO guys and one of them's a quicker guard, one of them is a uh, little bit bigger guard who's going to try to draw a lot of fouls, get to the rim. And, and the third guy's a big, bigger like wing. You can pretty much isolate and find mismatches no matter who you're playing. So this is a team that should be able to hunt mismatches, go at whatever the weak point is in your defense. And like the Lakers in the playoffs last year, we didn't have to face like a, a scoring wing until the finals in Jimmy Butler. So the Lakers not having a wing stopper was, it, it worked out fine because it wasn't really exposed. And other teams have similar weaknesses, either defending guards or defending bigs. With Brooklyn, you have to be strong at all of those positions. And even if you have four good isolation defenders, but you have one weak guy, they have the varying heights and, and skill sets to be able to find that mismatch and go at it. So we're seeing it in regular season games already. In the playoffs, it'll be particularly interesting. I expect to see really high-scoring games with them. I do like the the fit of the pieces around them from a just like a spacing the floor shooting standpoint. And I mean, so far they've been scoring a lot of points and something that's always been interesting with some of these guys is like, Katie's like an elite spot up scorer. Kyrie's yeah. an elite spot up scorer. James Harden's an elite spot up scorer, but we've only really seen them with the ball in their hands in the past. But on this team, when they are going to be getting some of those opportunities, which they normally don't get as much of because like they're good at it, but they're more valuable with the ball in their hands, creating offense. Mm -hmm. Now that we get to see them do a little bit of that, but then also share some of those off-ball spot-up scoring chances, either catching and shooting or like attacking a, cl a, a closeout, which isn't usually something these guys get to do. Um, we're seeing them be incredibly uh, prolific as scores off-ball as well. So I think the team's doing some of the right things in terms of being creative to make the skill sets work together. I think they're constructed in a way that can attack just about any defense. And we're seeing some of those early results. It's it's going to be a little bit bumpy. They're still figuring things out, but it's a long season and already they're putting up just crazy amounts of points. So as long as they can stay healthy, I at least like what their offense is able to bring to the table. And I like how they have like Jeff Green that they can play small ball five with instead of DeAndre Jordan. And they can truly play five out if they want to, or they can have that role like roll and cut big out there so they have a lot of different options yeah and i and i like that it looks like from the small sample size that we have of three games it looks like harden is committed to be committed to being like the offensive engine while Kyrie is kind of a gunner and kd just like like we said uh and, and i and i have always thought this coming into the trade that regardless kd is gonna be the most from a from like likely to get 25 points kd will still be number one just because of how efficiently he can get his and how comfortable he is coming off of screens and all of that. But we're seeing even Kyrie set some ball screens and and that to me was the key with uh with this transaction was are how much off ball movement are we going to see from Harden and Kyrie because I think that, that that shows not only a level of effort um effort and and buy into the offensive system but also will will unlock just so much so many more things they can do because like you said, it's going to be easy for them to hunt isolations all they want um, throughout the throughout the season against pretty much any team. 
but it's going to come down to those um, in the playoffs when things get more dry and isolation happens. But but you need some of those you need some of those uh, generated buckets from from the offense itself to relieve the pressure of the, of your ISO scores. And I think that off ball screens and stuff is going to be a big key. And like you talked about them being spot up shooters, all the reasons you named are really why I'm I'm excited and I and I've always been optimistic on the fit offensively. Uh, like I said, I've loved how Harden's just kind of been the point guard engine. He only took eight shots last night, and that to me shows a lot. Um, he got to the line a good amount, but but he really only took eight shots, and he was and he's had double digits assists in every single game since the trade. So he it shows that he is a very willing passer and, and willing to find um, whoever is open. And, and Joe Harris has been a nice recipient of that so far, which has been which was a, a very big key, I thought, for Brooklyn that they were able to keep a guy like Joe Harris. Um, getting into the defensive side of it, it's going to be very interesting. I want to know your thoughts on that because, you know, there there's KD had a very good year a couple years ago in Golden State as a defender. He was, a, in my opinion, an, uh, close to an all-first-team defender, and, and he was blocking shots at the rim. He was switching. He was doing all of it, and... You know, obviously with the Achilles injury, um, you know, you, you, you expect to see some type of withdrawal or some type of decline in, in you know, athleticism and, and those kind of categories like blocks and rebounds and stuff. But KD really hasn't slipped in that area and he's looked good. So I think that he can be, uh, if he can end up being a, a near all NBA first team, second team defense or honorable mention, um, I think that that really uh, that really helps this Houston this, this or sorry this <laughs> this Houston this Brooklyn uh, this Brooklyn defense and you know DeAndre Jordan let's see what they can get from him I think they're definitely gonna get people on the buyout market because of the five point million dollar uh, disabled exception plus they have the um, plus they have the uh, mid level exception that they can offer so they'll get at least two guys and probably a third on the minimum. And those are hit or miss as to whether they really contribute or not. You can get lucky like Philly did two years ago and get and get two great rotation players, or you can or you can miss out on those. But I think they'll find I think they'll be able to find something there, some type of defense. And like you said, they can go five out. They can do a lot of things. I just think that they're um, that they have the potential to to do some interesting stuff and be better than we thought defensively. Sneakily, Kyrie has. Uh, has had like four blocks or five blocks in the three games that he's been back, which hmm. is a really interesting trend that I, I I'm curious to see if that continues. Um, James Harden, obviously, as we know, he's a he's he's a very good post defender um, when when he switched onto that. Uh, but so they have they have some they have some assets and some things to play with defensively, but it, it's it's it seems very limited. Like Harden's specialty is poking the ball loose in the passing lane and defending in the post. KD's is kind of, you know, KD's is more is more versatile and well-rounded to guarding the perimeter and guarding the paint a little bit. And Kyrie, uh, obviously, you know, his defenses when he's engaged is is pretty good, but, um, but he doesn't necessarily have particularly strong suits um, or strengths to play to. So what are you looking at from a defensive point of this team, like the potential of it and how would you necessarily try to scheme to maximize this Brooklyn Nets defense? That's a great question. And after the trade that they made, losing Jared Allen, I think is a big yeah. piece that is no longer a part of this defense. It is now part of that great 
Cleveland Cavs defense. They are now down to one shot blocker. Oh, I thought DeAndre you were going to say Jordan. one guard. <laughs> no, just just one shot blocker with DeAndre Jordan. Right. Um, I, I think so. What I'm looking out for is how, like, right now, what does their defense look like? And it, it hasn't been great. When we break down, just looking at like the the four factors, how is their defense? Uh, how are opponents shooting against their defense? Actually, they have the the ninth lowest shooting efficiency um, opponents do when facing the net. So that's pretty good. Are they fouling guys too too much? Well, they're they're 10th in that uh, in terms of being on the lower end. So that's good as well. But when we look at how often they're forcing turnovers, they're third worst. And in terms of allowing offensive rebounds, they are fifth worst. Right. So being on that defense, like being on the defensive glass is a weakness for them. After the trade, they're worse than they were before. And just tactically, schematically, it's going to take more of a team group effort going after those. So that may mean what we'd call sandwich rebounding, where our, my big man is trying to box out his guy, but then you want to sandwich that guy by having one of your guards from the perimeter also crash down and be on the opposite side. So you have mm-hmm. our big man, their opposing big man, and then our guard, three guys in a row, just kind of sandwiching that player so he can't get that rebound. Right. Little things like that will help them clean up the defensive glass in terms of forcing turnovers, some of that comes in just the fact that they don't rotate all that well. Um, when I look at their ball screen coverages, there are a lot of different things you can do. You can play a drop coverage where that big man really kind of tries to defend the rim. You can be switching, which we see Brooklyn do a lot of. You can be playing more aggressive screen coverages, maybe double teaming, which we don't see a bunch from with them. But uh, they'll play what I'd call a catch hedge where – that big man, instead of dropping deep, he's right at the level of the ball screen, trying to contain the score. And what that has given up is because that big man is stepping up, the screener has a, a space to slip towards the rim. And if he's rolling or slipping, you need one of your other players not involved in that ball screen action to step over and, and defend that player until the big man can recover. And it's been that rotation that's been missing a lot of times. Or if that man does help over, now his man is open and the other one of the other weak side players has to do what we call helping the helper. And I, I hope everyone's able to follow me trying to explain things just audibly. But it, the whole idea is if you have two guys temporarily on the ball, the offense has a four on three over the rest of the court. So that means that your players have to rotate around really well and take away the highest priority scoring option. Um, so if only one guy rotates, but then nobody helps him, his player's going to be wide open. And that player's often open for corner threes. But if he helps over and then the other guy helps down, then you can just kind of scramble and recover and be in better shape. But because those rotations aren't happening, Brooklyn isn't forcing turnovers. Uh, They're not picking off passes as much. They're not being as disruptive because, you know, as long as you get through that first line of defense, you're able to get a good shot off or get to the rim. Um, So a little bit of rotating is, is a big piece of it. And that's a focus thing. That's an effort thing. That's, it, not as much X's and O's as much as it is defensive fundamentals. Um, but with their ball screen coverages, how do they approach things moving forward? I think they may end up switching a bunch so they don't have to have as many of those rotations. They don't have the defensive personnel to play a drop coverage except for with DeAndre Jordan. Um, so we don't see as much of that from them. But like when Jeff Green's out there, like just go switch one through five and you have some guys that can defend one-on-one. Like you mentioned, James Harden can defend in the post pretty well for I mean probably the best among the guards um put him up against some bigs I, I don't know as much 
but uh, he's on the high end of post defense among guards. So you have opportunities to put players in one-on-one situations that they can do okay at and not need to have dudes rotating on the back line uh, nearly as much, which is more of a team thing. So it's a process. Hopefully they'll get better. I think the defensive boards isn't going to be a big piece of it um, in, in cleaning up those rotations, which it's early season for everyone. And this team just made a big trade. So I wouldn't expect them to be great at it just yet, but you can already tell that the defensive talent isn't quite there to overcome not being strong fundamentally. So they're going to have to really focus on those fundamentals. And I see no reason why they can't be better defensively um, given the personnel they have. It'll, it'll just, it won't happen on its own. It, it really takes some work. Yeah. And so, okay. So that's a good question that you lead me into is what do you think the ceiling is for them defensively? Like give me a rank in the NBA. I think if they are rotating well, switching often and rebounding a bit better, they can be, I don't know. I mean, like they should be able to be in the low twenties, high teens, I would expect. They don't, their issues, they don't really have any like rim protection and and the rebounding piece of it. And it's hard to play defense when you're not strong in those areas. But I, I think they can be better than, I mean, like, what are they right now in terms of defensive efficiency? They they should be able to be outside the bottom five in theory. Like, their yeah. their ceiling isn't top ten defense, but it's certainly not as poor as right now. They're the sixth worst defense so far. They can probably bump up into the high teens, low twenties. Yeah, that that's kind of where I where I thought the the number that popped in my head was if all things go right, eighteen, and you're thrilled with that if you're Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, because of, I mean, what we're talking about on the offensive side of it. I mean, being number two in points in the in the very small sample size of having three, but being number two in points for just figuring it out on the fly is it shows me that you know this is obviously an offense that can be all time great, and you know that's going to be the key is is if they're going to be you know in the twentieth or twenty first or twenty second in defense in the NBA then they have to be like all-time great offensively for them to mm-hmm. to win the championship because historically you need you need to be, you know, top 10 you'd love to be top 10 in each or flirting with top 10 in each to be a a, a true championship contender and which which we I I think everyone thinks that this is a true championship contender just because of how how unique and special the offense is but but defensively yeah they got to get to that point I kind of wonder um, Tim, because of the because of the uh, the rebounding issues that you mentioned, which I'm glad you mentioned that because that was that's a huge thing that I forgot to mention. Um, if if James Harden and, and Kyrie kind of commit to if Brooklyn's better off because of their defensive personnel of not having like not having the greatest personnel um, individually. I wonder if their best route is to be more of a gamble team, whereas Kyrie and James Harden go for a lot more steals and try to be aggressive in, in passing lanes and all of that. And that, that, like you spoke on, takes a level of effort. But I wonder if because of their their sizing issue and their their rebounding issue, if their best bet is to try to be one of the teams that forces turnovers. Like Houston was that's what made Houston great, right? It's because they couldn't rebound, but defensively they could force a lot of turnovers with, you know, guys like Covington and Tucker, and obviously those are great at those are great players at that, 
at that end of the uh, at that end of the floor. But you know, I wonder if that's kind of the thing, like how Kyrie or if Kyrie plays how Steph does in Golden State, where he just he's an average defender, but he plays the passing lane to try to, and that kind of makes up for uh, you know the situations where he's put in a one on one ISO ISO situation where he has to defend. Yeah, I think that can certainly help. They and there are a bunch of different ways that can materialize. On post ups, it can be sending mm-hmm. extra help from the baseline or right. from the strong side, and then you just have to rotate over properly. Or in ball screens, you can start double teaming those, and then you just have to have strong backline rotations. Or uh, if you want to start stunting hard on drives, meaning that if if somebody's driving from the top of the key, I don't know, down the right side of the lane, and my player that I'm guarding is, is standing at the right wing. I'll take an extra step or two to get in that driving lane, get a hand in there and try to disrupt that drive. And then I just have to be really quick about rotating back to my guy because that could be something that you just pass to my dude and he might be open for a split second. So there are little tactical things that the team can do to try to force more turnovers, be more aggressive. Uh, It takes good rotating. You have to be on the same page, but it's certainly possible. Uh, I, I wouldn't put it past them. I, I think that's a, a smart approach from you, Chris. I think that's a good idea um, because if they can do some of those things and be more the aggressor on defense and make teams have to reset and uh, be really smart with counters and scheming and all, all that tactical piece of it, a lot of teams aren't really locked into that in the regular season. So you can get away with a lot of that. And then once you get to the playoffs, some teams are just weak with that in general. So I think that would at least be the smart thing, like cover your greatest weaknesses and force the other team to have to adjust to it. And then if they do, then you can look at adjusting a second time, but it it would be smart to at least try to mitigate some of the weaknesses that are already there. And as I'm looking through some of the data that Brooklyn is worst in terms of second chance points and they are, let me see, I think they're third, yeah, third worst in points in the paint per game. So those defensive boards, and stopping drives, stopping post-ups, those are going to be some of the keys for them moving forward. Yeah, that, that's very good. I, I'm very excited to see. It's been a small sample size, but I, I'm loving this game, uh, this team. I'm, I'm tuning into every game I can because it's just, it's really fascinating to see see this come together and to see, I mean, you know, a, a, a whole separate conversation I had with, with, a group, uh, with a group of friends of mine on Clubhouse was, um, we were talking some NBA and we talked about, you know, the, the idea of having just how unique it is that, that Brooklyn might have three of the three of the top 10, maybe 12 offensive players of this era of this last decade. And, you know, just seeing, you know, how many teams can actually say that they, they had that, you know, uh, regardless, you can you could talk about how the Warriors had had such a great fit because of Draymond Green and Clay Thompson's personnel alongside Steph and KD, but just from a pure in a vacuum offensive side of the ball, um, you know, Harden, Kyrie, KD, I all would imagine are top 10 offensive players of the last 10, maybe even 15 years. So it's really um, it's really a, a, a treat to see them. And I can't wait to continue to watch them in, in Brooklyn. But let's jump to the Lakers, my team that I think still is the NBA champion as of right now. Um, and, and the favorites to win the NBA championship. 
Uh, they were top three in offense and defensive ratings, the only team in the league. But I, th- I believe over the last couple of days, they've slipped to now like fifth or, or, or seventh in, in NBA or in offensive rating. Um, let me check here. Yeah, so they're yep. seventh in offensive rating right now. Um, but they've they've looked good, man. And, you know, despite them, you know, I definitely get the feeling of coasting and all of that. Uh, but how do you feel about the new fits on this team? And are you finding any type of struggle evaluating this team seriously with them kind of coasting or AD floating in and out of games or LeBron floating in and out of games? Um, you know, how, are, are you, do you feel like you're getting a good feel on the new fits uh, of this team so far? I think we're getting a good sense for who fits in where, what from a rotation standpoint is working, what groups aren't working. One group that notably has not worked that we've talked a lot about on my podcast is what we've called the lineup of meh, which has been <laughs> LeBron and then four non-ball handlers. So it's LeBron and then Kuz and then Wes Matthews, Markeith Morris and Montrez Harrell. So it's like a lot of like, wings wing wingy kind of guys a big guy and lebron and it just hasn't really worked and but it's the lakers second most used lineup somehow and just finding just little things along the way realizing hey that group's not working just throw tht in there throw caruso in there throw kcp in there like give us just one more guard and remove kuzma or matthews and that group just makes much more sense and works more so the team is still evaluating that process side of things the the combinations that are working and aren't working we're already seeing marcus saul and his passing show up really well he's been able to generate high quality scoring opportunities for like lebron cutting ad like all kinds of, just about like every player on the team i can think of several examples of marcus saul get just like threading the needle with bounce passes as they cut through the lane so him as an addition in that way has been wonderful Montrez Harrell has been good as a post player. He, uh, as a role man, hasn't been as active as I would have hoped. Part of that is based on how teams play LeBron in ball screens. They're not really, le- really letting Harrell get behind them for lobs, but uh, he's been good. Schroeder has, we've seen the good with Schroeder. We've seen the bad with Schroeder. He's been a little bit less efficient, but uh, I-, I like how he's approaching things. And I think he's fit in pretty well. And those, oh, and then Wes Matthews is the other guy. He's, a really good spot up catch and shoot guy offensively, defensively, a pretty good wing stopper. Uh, not as good at like chasing dudes around the perimeter, like Steph Curry around screens, which so just based on the the matchup with the opponent, we see him look better or worse defensively. But so far, I think we're getting a good sense for how everyone fits in. I think we have a good idea of like the roles offensively, the roles defensively, what the lineups look like. And I, I mean, I wouldn't, agree too much that the Lakers are like coasting per se I think they're trying stuff out they've been very purposefully uh like this season they've changed up their defensive ball screen coverages they're no longer a deep drop team they're now playing those catch hedges like I talked about earlier they're being more aggressive and that means that those other three defenders outside the action have to be on time in communicating with each other when it comes to rotations and they've just been burned left and right by teams when they haven't executed well or when opponents game plan well against that. So we've seen them instead of tailoring their defensive approach to the opponent they're playing, as we saw a little bit more last season than this season from them, they've just been doing the same thing over and over again. And uh, it's, it's hurt the defense a little bit. And yet somehow the defense is still number one in the NBA by like a whole point per hundred possessions. So 
I, I'd say everything's off to a good start. They're nowhere close to the final form of this team, but we're seeing them slowly get better. And watching game after game, I've gotten a much better sense for that little marginal, like one step at a time uh, growth where like they do something poorly for a couple of games, then they see it in the film room. And then you know, like you can notice a change in how they approach something like AD Dennis Schroeder ball screens, instead of picking and popping to the three point line, Anthony Davis was screening and then just kind of like turning around and sitting there. And that wasn't creating good spacing when he'd get the ball. He wasn't at the three point line. He wasn't attacking a closeout. His man was able to recover to him quicker so we saw the Lakers start the year out doing that. Then they must have noticed it. We noticed it uh, and, and covered it on my podcast. Then they made a switch with that. And then all of a sudden, AD's hitting more threes and getting to attack guys off the dribble. And there's more spacing for shooters. So like just little things here and there. They are trying stuff out, notice what's working, see what's not working, tweak it, and then just keep moving forward. So it's very much a process. I think by the end of the season, they'll be really rounded out into shape and look like a title uh, like form team right now, they're not, but they still have tons of talent and they're still performing really well. Um, but it's to me, it's really promising that they're kicking so much butt despite not being close to their their best form and very purposefully going through that process and trying to get better every day. Right, and that's and that's why I still have the ultimate faith in the Lakers, even though I mean, right now as you look at the standings, the Jazz and the Clippers are just a half a game back. Um, so the Lakers, as great as they've been this season, um, the Jazz, especially on their eight-game winning streak, have have played really well. But ultimately, the Lakers, you know, you 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 get that feeling every time I check in on them because I haven't watched every game, but when I check in on them, you know, it seems like okay, yeah, this is a team that I could see. Even from you know a couple game differences, the the growth. I'm not noticing it every game, but I'm noticing one game where they did something, and then a couple games later, where like you said, that the AD was a, was a great example. And I and I do love what Dennis Schroeder brings to them that dimension of speed, and and, and you know I I think that 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 that's going to go a long way for this Lakers team because they are they are at their best, I believe, when they're when they're slow and methodical. Um, and I think that that's going to pay dividends, especially against teams like Brooklyn. And if they if they meet them in the finals, um, I think that the Lakers definitely take advantage of controlling the tempo. And I think that that works in their favor. But I like that they have the ability of a Dennis Schroeder to switch things up a little bit. Uh, and I like that they're looking, you know, just they're they're taking care of the games that they that they should. You know, they're they're not losing too many. They lost a, a close one to. Golden State the other day, but you know they're beating the Bulls by eleven. They're you know they're, they they had a nice win over the Bucks. Um, they beat uh, they beat the Pelicans you well, know and, by seventeen. They're, and Chris, we were the games they're supposed to. Yeah, and we were up against Chicago by thirty points, I think. Yeah, in that game, and then it was garbage time for like right. almost a whole half of basketball, right. and they cut into the lead. But but some of these games, like the the final margin may not indicate how in control the Lakers have been, but in a lot of yeah. these games, like the, the win probability of the opposing team went way down very quickly. And then, right. so they may be slowly chipped into the lead, but never in a way that was threatening based on the, the time and score. Yeah. And that's what, and that's what I like. It's, it really comes down to just the control of the, the Lakers have. And that's why, and that's what I think honestly is their biggest strength come playoff time is I think that, they have established uh, the way that they play, I think, forces teams to adjust to them rather than them adjusting to teams. Um, they're going to make adjustments, like you said, throughout the season and throughout the playoffs. 
but this is a team that very much controls um, how the other team plays them. And I think that those are always the teams that it works in their favor because they're they're the ones that are that are uh, initiating everything. And I, I just really like what I've seen from the Lakers. I like, um, you know, I know Harrell hasn't been the perfect fit yet, but I like what I like what he brings. Um, I like what he brings, you know, just taking his skill set and projecting it forward. Um, like I said about Dennis Schroeder's fit, Wesley Matthews. Um, I don't know his spot up shooting numbers, but he seems to hit damn near everyone that I watch. <laughs> so, um, so I, I I'm liking the fit there. I I do wonder if you feel like. You know, I, this team comparatively to last year's is pretty much a better version of it last year. But you talked about it with the LeBron plus no other playmakers or no other ball handlers lineups. Um, do you still think that they're a little bit short on that end of the uh, on that side of the ball, the playmaking side of it? Or do you think that, you know, come playoff time with it just being LeBron and AD for, you know, 40 minutes a game that or 38 minutes a game that it's not going to it's not going to matter too much and it and it's not really a, a, a big time issue. I think it's less of an issue this year than it was last season. Last season, LeBron was able to do things. He was able to create for himself and others. AD could create for himself and kind of for others. Rondo could create for others. And then outside of that, you had a lot of guys from KCP to Danny Green to Alex Caruso to Dwight Howard to McGee. They were all players I would consider finishers. Some right. from three, some on dump offs or lobs, but none of them were creating anything for anybody. This season, right. from a playmaking standpoint for others, Schroeder kind of fills that Rondo role. Right. THT has added a little bit of a boost, and you still have LeBron. AD, I think, has gotten better as a playmaker for others this season, and particularly countering ways that the defense is sending extra help against him in the post. And then when we talk about self-creators, Schroeder is a guy that's he can create offense, run ball screens with him. He's the first ball screen shooter the Lakers have had in years that can actually like hit the mid-range pull-up shot with some consistency. Because uh, Rondo didn't do that, LeBron didn't do that, and Caruso didn't do that last season, so teams didn't have to defend that. This year, he can. Harrell is a good dump-off guy, lob guy, uh, role man, but he's also a good post player. And his top usage these past couple of years has been as like a post scorer. So he is his own form of offense, and we've seen that already with the Lakers, and it'd be good. So even when you have like LeBron out there as the only ball handler, you still have options. And Gasol as a passer right. for cutters. Gasol has been excellent. I forgot yeah, to mention him. Dribble handoffs or guys back cutting. or like There are more options that the Lakers have for different styles of offense this season, either with big men executing dribble handoffs, with Trez, AD, or Gasol, who are all good at that, or Gasol as like a passer from the top of the key or from the high post for cutters with Harrell in the post, AD in the post. Like THT has, he's the 11th man in the lineup and he sat some games. He's played big minutes, some other games. He's still growing, still a little raw, but he is really talented. He's got crazy long arms and big hands and hit shots from angles at the rim that you didn't think he can get to. Like he'll hit reverse layups that, for most players, they're just putting the ball off the, the bottom of the rim, but he can reach that right. far. And so he's been just incredible at getting to the rim and finishing at the rim. So he's been a nice form of offense that a couple times a game, you get to see just him with a bench group doing his own thing and adding good offense. So I think in that respect, even if not in the way that the Lakers have a bunch of great passers, 
they have a lot of good playmaking and, and offensive engines in a way that last season's team did not. And that allows them to lean a little bit less on LeBron and AD. And LeBron's playing the lowest minutes per game of his career so far, which is expected, I think, to a certain extent. And I would expect his minutes to go up as the season goes along. But right. even in the minutes that he's playing, he's required to do less now because the team has other guys that can run the offense in, in their own different ways. So even if he puts in 30 minutes, it's not 30 minutes full force LeBron. So in a way, he's able to coast. But it's not like the Lakers are just completely mailing it in and standing around. They'll still right. play good basketball, just 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 leaning on different guys instead of LeBron and AD all the time. Yeah. So I want to close with this, and, and maybe this is something of the many things that you brought up. Maybe it's something that you want to highlight again. But going forward for the Lakers, um, who, like I said, is still my title favorite, and I imagine yours as well, uh, what is the what is the thing that you're looking at most for them evaluating throughout the next you know throughout the rest of the regular season and you know even just even just I guess I guess we won't go that big picture we'll go just just the next you know couple weeks or, or months or so like what is the what is the the focus for you for the Lakers of where you think that they are that is really going to not make or break their championship odds because I think they're a contender regardless but what is the thing that you think they really need to key in that's most important for them going forward to watch and, and to really get a feel for this for for this Lakers team as they go into as they go into a season where they're they, they came in pretty much looking unchallenged in my opinion as far as the um as far as the championship favorite and now with the Brooklyn acquisition and maybe the Clippers looking looking a little better, uh, things are starting to things are starting to shift a little and it's not looking like it's the Lakers by a, it's the Lakers to lose. It's looking like it's going to be um, a, a tough fight for a championship. So what is it that you're looking for with the Lakers moving forward? Great question. And it, the Lakers can't just coast to the playoffs and, and coast to the finals. This version of the team today, if you just transport them to the playoffs, like may, right now they're in really good shape, but it, they're not in title contending form just yet. And other teams aren't either, but those other teams are going to continue to get better. Milwaukee's going to keep getting better. The Nets are, have so much room for growth, and they're just figuring things out. Uh, the Clippers are going to keep getting better. The Lakers now versus the Clippers then isn't super favorable. The Lakers need to continue to grow in some of the areas that they have to grow. And you, you asked about the most important one. Defensively, it is for them, they've implemented a new defensive scheme. They've been working very much on those principles, those fundamentals. Okay, this is who's going where. Here's your responsibility. Here are the backline rotations. And they're at a point now where they're close to nailing those principles, fundamentals down. Teams are countering that in specific ways that the Lakers haven't really caught up to yet. So the next step for them is figuring out, okay, here are a dozen different ways teams have chosen to attack this defense how are we going to be more prepared to defend those? What little tweaks can we make? Let's figure it out now. Because once we get to the playoffs, teams are going to do the same thing. So I'd rather work through those issues now and and take your lumps here and there instead of ignoring that and then waiting until the games matter a ton to try to be figuring things out on the fly. So figuring that out and then continuing to develop that defensive scheme. Once they figure that out, and I'm sure they'll probably give us a stretch of playing some zone at some point this season the way they did in the playoffs. They haven't really used that so far this year. And I anticipate that 
like they just don't have the attention span for it right now. They're focusing on that, those other principles. But once they nail that down, the next thing's going to be, all right, are we going to play any two, three or three, two? What's that going to look like? Um, and then working on like, how is our switching going to work? Those are the three types of defense that I think this group, given their personnel, will be wanting to be ready to execute come playoff time. So working on that defensively and then offensively, they have some good ISO scores. They can run some good offensive sets, but it's the principle based offense of like if AD is posting up and the help is coming from the perimeter right in front of him, what are we going to do? And not needing to call out a set play to know that that player should like cut to the rim, just creating those, that muscle memory, allowing guys to be on the same page without having to see the whole floor, just knowing that, okay, if the help's coming from here, I'm going to pass there. And being on the same page with a player that knows he needs to be cutting if his man is helping down. Um, Little things like that aren't really like set plays, but it's important motion and action that's reading the defense and reacting accordingly. And you have to be on the same page with each other, but that offensively is where they have the biggest area for growth in ball screens, in post-ups, and in perimeter isolations. So if they can figure that out offensively, defensively can nail down those fundamentals and then work on the zone, work on the switching. I think the Lakers are going to be much closer to playoff form than they are today. All right, Tim, as always, you give the best insight. Um, I love I love the, the layers of detail that you go into, the depth that, that you bring to this podcast every time is greatly appreciated. I feel smarter every time I listen to you talk basketball. Thank you for coming on the podcast, man. Um, I didn't say it at the beginning, but you guys know he's been on the show so damn much. A founder of Basketball Index, you know, got the got the Lakers podcast. You know, he's he's doing everything. I'm glad to see that you're doing well. Glad to be hearing from you. And um, what do what do you want to plug that you're working on right now? So over at Basketball Index, we just recently released the so we have the the player profiles where you go in and instead of if you if you want to look up data for Steph Curry. You don't have to open up 15 different tabs to get all of his stats. We have it scraped from all those other websites. Do it. We, we have our own manipulations, our own contextualization. You can go pull up one page, look through all of Steph Curry's stats on his style, his efficiency, his, his talent, where we try to look at his efficiency and contextualize it, all those contextual variables. Like what is the lineup spacing that he's operating within? What is the playmaking in the lineups around him? All of those things, all in one place. Uh, we have talent badges, like 2K-style talent badges for all these different players. Um, and we have that not just for last season now, but going all the way back to 2013, 2014. So, like, I was going in there and comparing, like, all right, what does MVP Steph look like compared to MVP Giannis or James Harden from a year or two mm. ago? Or, like, what does 2013, 14 Kobe look like compared to... I don't know, Meta World Peace, or in, in like just <laughs> looking through all the different, like, oh man, let's look at some like vintage Dirk, um, or D- Dirk with, you know, some more legs than what we saw a year or two ago. Um, seeing that same data that we've been looking at for guys this past year, but moving back a couple of years, I think has been really fun. And right now we're setting up all the scraping so that we can have this year's player profiles set up and, and updating daily. Because, I mean, <laughs> I was looking at it, there are like 80 different coding things we have to do to get everything set up the right way. But uh, once that's up and running, it'll be some daily updating and you'll have just all the stats you want at your fingertips, everything with percentiles and, and letter grades. So, you know, okay, this is a B plus or that's a, a C minus. You don't actually have to remember what a good assist to turnover ratio is 
or what a good corner three-point percentage is. We'll, we'll contextualize everything for you. So go check that out. We have a lot of great stuff over at B-Ball Index. Um, lots of new, we have 2020, 2021 data coming out, uh, some out already, others coming out soon. And we created a new uh, impact metric um, similar to like box plus minus or ESPN's real plus minus or player impact plus minus. Ours is called LeBron actually. And uh, it's and it's not as forced an acronym as like uh, 538's Raptor, where they had to like use letters from the middle of words and, and come up with right. some funky ones. This one actually, the, the letters make sense. It's uh, luck adjusted. It's a luck adjusted player estimate using a box prior regularized on off, which means it's going to cut out some of the noise in the data with the luck adjustments. It's going to estimate the impact of a player using box score stuff and then on off data and running some calculations to look not just at like, okay, Steph, when Steph Curry's on the court, his team is better when he's, than when he's off the court, but looking at all the combos of players that play with Steph Curry to truly figure out how much value he's adding to like the same four-man lineup, so the same three-man groupings or two-man groupings. So it's an advanced thing that gives us some really intuitive results, and you can go in. We actually have that free and public up on the side, site right now going all the way back to 2009, 2010. So if you want to go look at like how good like MVP Dwight was, or I don't know, it goes back like just about a decade. So there's a lot of cool data in there as well. And you can see not just what's happened in the past, but what we're forecasting for players in the future based on where they are, what position they play and what their age is. Like, how do we expect LeBron to age? What are the odds that Giannis is going to be an MVP candidate three years from now, or Luca an MVP mm. candidate four years from now? Things like that you can get a sense for from, again, what is completely free data. Um, you can go and look at that. We're running this year's numbers. Hopefully, we'll have them up in the next week. Um, go check that out as well over at bballindex.com. Man, I I love it. And I love that you're digging back into the archives and the, and the historical precedence of all, all of this. Are you... Is is it a plan for you to go even further back with with time as you're allowed as you're allocated more time? I know you guys haven't you guys haven't had uh, an off season this year, so I mean yeah. one of the things that people people forget is that not only did the NBA not have an off season, but the NBA media did not have an off season, and they did not get a chance to uh, to to maybe do everything that you would love to do and and highlight the programs you would love to highlight because we went from basketball to to free agency to more basketball so mm-hmm. um you know is that a plan for you to continue to go back in the archives a little, a little bit more and, and and continue to to kind of put things from a historical precedence into perspective yeah it definitely is and we should be able to go back as far as play-by-play data goes to so back like i think like in the, like the 80s or so 70s maybe um so yeah it's going to take a little bit like you said, there hasn't been an off season. So we had a whole to-do list of stuff that we would have had plenty of time to take care of in a normal off season. But right now, right. like setting up like, like 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016 data was something that we shouldn't be doing 15 games into this season. It should have been right. something we were doing in the, in the, the off season, but we just didn't have time between how short it was and, and consulting on the agent side and, uh, when the Lakers were in the playoffs, every single day I was like watching film and producing podcasts and writing articles and doing videos. So we're a, a little bit behind. We're catching up. Uh, but yeah, there's there's a lot of good stuff up now and a lot more that'll be coming out in the future. And once we get our feet under us in terms of this season's data updating automatically, then we'll dig back a little bit and add even more years to that LeBron database that right now only goes 
as far back as 2009, 2010, which for a lot of folks is about as long as they've been watching basketball. So it's, it's not all that bad. It's, it's in a good, good spot and you get some pretty good uh, perspective. You can even use that. We have a filter tool where you can go in and compare players based on their offensive impact or defensive impact or total impact. And you can say, all right, I only want to look at point guards from 19 to 21 years old who've played at least 600 minutes uh, from the Eastern Conference and sort them by offensive right. impact. And like really get a sense for like, because with a lot of these stats, young guys don't perform all that well. But the thing is, young guys generally, like 19-year-olds generally are negative basketball players at the NBA level. It's, it's hard to be good that young. And it doesn't mean you're going to be poor moving forward. And by using the tools we have, it, it helps make that clear. And you can be like, oh, okay, the fact that LaMelo Ball right now is like an average impact player at his age and his position is actually really impressive given what point guards generally do in the NBA that are that young. So it, it just having that historical context, digging into those archives helps contextualize what we're seeing now and helps us recognize where we are seeing greatness, either at like LeBron aging or some young players being good even with how young they are. So, uh, yeah, definitely go check this stuff out. Find me on Twitter. I'm Tim underscore MBA. I'd be happy to chat more about this stuff. If you ever, ever have any questions, my DMs are open. Um, there are just so many great resources. And if you ever have any basketball questions, come on over and I'll point you to a, a stat that tries to answer that for you. Yeah. And I can, I can attest he is great with that. I see him, I see him tweeting at people all the time. Tim, you may be behind on this regular season, but you're definitely ahead of the trend of, of, of the statistics of, of basketball in the future. I love all this, all the interesting stuff you guys come up with over there. I'm a, I'm a big fan and I, and I love to, I love to peruse on it. I'm going to, matter of fact, I'm going to, you just brought up something that that's going to spark my interest. I'm I'm going to look up some Killian Hayes numbers because I'm, I'm a little worried. I'm a little, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I don't want to write somebody off this young, but uh, I'm a little worried from what I've seen. So maybe it'll, it'll help me. Uh, it'll help me as a Piston fan. Yeah, you're more optimistic <laughs> about about a guy who's struggling right now and obviously out with an injury, but before the injury was struggling and trying to find his foot. It, it, I, I would I would be very happy if I saw that Derrick Rose was was struggling in his first year too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it'll help provide that context, help calm you down if you need some help there. Uh, as you said, that I'm going to pull up Derrick Rose right now and see what he looked like. Yeah, he was. Uh, eh. He was, let's see. No, he actually was pretty good from the start. <laughs> oh, uh, man. Uh, I'll, I'll, pl- I'll play around with it. I'll find, some, I'll find some great point guard that was bad at some point and, <laughs> you know, justify my Killian Hayes worry. But, all right, Tim, uh, thank you for coming on the podcast, man. Like I said, I greatly appreciate you. I enjoy our basketball conversations. Your, your insight is second to none. Your attention to detail is second to none. Um, I recommend everyone check out his his website, Basketball Index, check out his podcast, all of that linked to his Twitter, um, interact with him on Twitter. So all of that good stuff. Thank you, Tim, for coming on the podcast, man. And as always, you know, you'll be back you'll be back in a little bit to check on the Lakers over here on this side. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me and I'd I'd be happy to to come back and celebrate the Lakers next title. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. We'll see. We'll see what Brooklyn does. But All right, Tim, I'm going to let you get going, man. Have a good one. Thanks, you too. Take care.